Howdy. Uh, my name is Chris Raymer. I'm a very grateful recovered alcoholic. I'm I'm delighted to be here. Everybody's been to Iowa before, but me. That's just I never have. I just I, I've heard about Iowa. I, I it could flying in this. My, they pushed all of our flights back, and so I was late getting in. I miss all this farmland. I just it's made me want to go. I'm gonna go buy a tractor. You know. <laughs> I ain't making fun of it. I just I never saw such pretty farmland in my life. And uh, uh, Texas has a couple of acres of this, but not like that. So it's all dry. Though. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. We left out the water part in Texas, so I, I don't know what to tell you. I uh, guys, I'm honored to be here. Let me look at my my watch here real quick. I'm, we're going to kind of split this up. We were talking about this tonight. I want to give a little bit about my story and about kind of what we're going to what we want to do for the next next uh, few hours, and uh, and then my, my uh, uh, twin brother Myers will share a little bit, and my and my buddy Peter. Um, I we've shared the podium a gazillion times, and it's just it's always so nice when you can share the podium with somebody that you know is kind of on the same page. Nothing worse. In case any of y'all haven't ever done this, I know a lot of y'all are speakers and speak from the podiums yourself. But if you ever have to share the podium with somebody that's not on the same page, it's oh. a it's a freaking nightmare. <laughs> you know, because you just it's just like you spend all your next hour trying to refute what the moron before you just said, and I you know. <laughs> There, you know, you sit down and you've been talking about the big book. And he's talking about unicorns and butterflies. And this is like, I, we don't have to worry about that with Peter. I guarantee you. We, uh, he's my hair sponsor. I always I hate, hate to have to. I know. He's obviously a, not listening. I know. I know. It's the gel part I can't get the hang of. I don't, I, 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 Patty keeps saying, no, like Peter, all over. You I got to tell you real quick, because I, I don't want to run late, late. I'm sure Peter won't mind, but I, we were in Switzerland together one time, and they took us around this boat. He said, you know, we're going to get this nice little boat ride, on, boat ride on Lake Geneva before we speak. And it's like, you know, okay, so we get in this boat. You know, we do what we got to do. And so we got in this boat, and I'm a nervous wreck about speaking anyway. And they drive around, and the guys, I mean, there's a million horsepowers on this boat. I don't know. We're driving around, and Patty's got a little dress on that's way too small, and she's trying to keep it down. We're bouncing around in the air, just every and I'm holding my patch on like this. We're, we're, we finally pull up. I, he's heard me tell this a thousand times, but I swear it's the truth. And I get off, and also look, look like I've just been whipped, you know. And Patty gets off, and we turn around to help Peter. And Peter gets off that boat, and it looks like absolutely nothing at phases. <laughs> just, God dang. Yo, he always, I'm, I know for, I've never been in the same room with when we woke up together, but I'm sure he looks just like that. Whenever, <laughs> and just, I can only hope to be like that. I, um, let me tell you, I, I, I'm, um, I had a really tough time getting sober, folks. Some of y'all have heard my CDs and some of you haven't, and I, I'm, 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 I'm just I'm okay with that. I, you know, we're gonna have a good time in the next couple of days trying to trying to kind of give you our version of, of of this. And we're not here to tell you how to do it. You're, you're if what you're doing is working great, and if it's what you're doing is not working, maybe you can take some of the stuff that we've been sharing a little bit and add it to your little repertoire and 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 maybe help. I, my idea is to always try to be a better sponsor. I want to I want to be a happier camper and a better sponsor because I sponsor a whole bunch of guys and anything that'll make that easier that's kind of where we all come from and uh, it's not this is not rocket science guys there's cats out there that want to complicate the bejesus out of this and it's just I, I I'm I, I'm just not a fan I, I we, we lose a lot and we're, we have to be careful I uh, I've worked in the treatment center industry for about 20 years I do clerical work for for places and and I'm 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 just a huge fan of treatment. Um, I didn't get sober in treatment. I got sober walking in the back door of an AA meeting, landing finally in a room full of people that all carried big books. And so that's where I come from, guys. And that's what I want to say. I, I'm going to share my experience uh, with the steps and my experience getting sober, my, some thoughts on recovery from my, my, my perspective, not your perspective. You, you can come next Friday and share from the podium and give us your perspective. But y'all look around this room real quick because I need to make sure everybody get, understands. I mean, we got, we, got, we got people that look like they come from lots of money in here. We got some people that look like they don't come from much money. We got some people that look like they've never had a problem in the world. We got some people that look like, like prison gangsters. I don't know. I don't know what some of you... I don't know. I'm not... There's one right there. It's, a, it's just... I, I get, as, a, as a prison gangster as they come. And, and I... 
But guys, some of us walked in the back doors of some 12-step fellowships, and some of us went to treatment. I, we all get here in a little different ways. But I, I, uh, uh, I damn near died getting to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I, I, I'll tell you a little bit about my story. I mean, I was, I was. Uh, 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 Myers and I grew up in the hill country, and uh, our father was 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 an alcoholic and um, nicest folks on, on earth. There was no goofy stuff in our family. We, this genetic predisposition we'll talk about in the morning. But you know, there was I got two sisters that didn't catch the bullet, and Myers, Myers and I did, and we lit up like a neon sign. It was Boone's Farm apple wine, and um, yeah, they yeah I'm sure they've got it here in Iowa too. But anyway. That, they, uh, it was really pretty stuff. I didn't taste worth worth a poop, but it was real pretty. And uh, uh, coming back up, it was still pretty. It was I don't know, I don't know. Anyway, uh, I'm drinking, and uh, for a long period of time, we've we've talked about this. A thought from every podium on earth, uh, alcohol works. You know, I mean, the family members have such a tough time. It's, why do you do it? Why do you keep doing it? You know, because for the for the period of time that it works, that time will get narrower as we go. Uh, uh, you can't touch me. Uh, when alcohol worked, and uh, I know we got some little dope beans sneaking in here, and and I'm sure it's the same with you and the dope. We're not we're just, I, but I'm bummed. If the stuff still worked, I'd still be doing it, and so would you. And um, uh, you know, I'm trying to figure out why I can't drink like other people, and and uh, I'm not having much luck. I'm seeing a therapist. I'm 10 years in therapy, and I'm grateful for every moment I got. And I own a whole bunch of medications, and and um, I'm. I guess I'm grateful for those two. I, I'm sure I am, but uh, at the time, uh, when I they were working so well that in 1987 I tried to commit suicide, and uh, and I can't stop drinking. I'm working for my twin brother. Thank God for that. And uh, I was in the food business for years. I was a cook, and and uh, uh, I remember um, I remember being in Houston one time and. Uh, uh, I was in a laundromat early in the morning washing some clothes, and, and uh, I'm young. I'm in my 20s, and, and I'm watching this guy come in, and he's low, long hair, and he's all dirty, and he's got a couple pairs of Levi's and one shirt, and he, he's going to wash them, and something happens with the washer. It won't work, and, and he has this little mini meltdown and t tries to beat this washer up. I don't know if he didn't have enough quarters. I wasn't going to go talk to him. You follow? I'm just thinking, buddy, it's a, it's a washing machine, for Christ's sake. I mean, how, how bad can this be with me? I'm sitting over there having my more early morning beer. Everything's okay in my world, and I'm. You you fast forward a few more years, and I. You fast forward a few more years, and I'm in a. I'm in Louisville, Texas, working for for Myers, and I'm in a parking lot of a Kroger grocery store, and I got to go in and get some food, and I can't get out of the car to go get some food. I got an anxiety attack like you wouldn't believe. And there's kids in there, and they're all saying something about my patch, and I'm freaked out, and I don't know if I. You know I'm. And I flash back to that guy. It says, here you are. You know, you're making fun of this old boy in that laundromat a million years ago. And now here you are. You can't even go into the grocery store. I'm dying of hunger and can't get food. I, just, there's so many people out there, guys, that don't understand what, what alcoholism looks like. My problem is not alcohol. My problem is alcoholism. And I didn't know that, and a lot of therapists didn't know that, and a lot of well-meaning preachers and girlfriends and family members didn't understand that. Chris, if you just stop, everything would be okay. Buddy, I'm a stopping fool. I, it's just I, like, er, I mean, there's skid marks all over Texas for me, for me stopping, you know. And I, and I, but I can't, I can't make it. And the, some of the stuff we're going to talk about tomorrow, we'll, 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 we'll get into that for the rhymes and reasons. But, but. But I know there's a lot of people that can't relate to that because they just woke up one day and said, you know, I think this is affecting my health. I'm going to quit. And they put the plug in the jug and they stopped. And that was not my experience. 1980, trying to save a marriage, I went into these meetings and, and that's what they did with me. They just, you know, a thousand little one-liners and, you know, just don't drink and go to meetings and everything will be okay. And, 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 and I... You know, I'm going to be really nice this week because I don't want to ruffle any feathers. But, but I just, but I, no, I don't. I'm sick and tired of pissing people off. Yeah. Laugh if you want. I'm, you're not the one that gets the emails. I am. The, you guys love me right, right up to the point you don't agree with something I say. And then, 
and, and then, oh, I, he, pushed the, he pushed the envelope there. I just don't agree with that at all. I'm just saying, again, this is my story based on my experience. Y'all y'all down with that. I'm trying to save a marriage, and I go to this meeting, and the old guys just do this, just put the plug in the jug crap, and that's exactly what it is. Buddies, if you can just on your own choose to put the plug in the jug and go to meetings and stay sober, you might want to look at the fact whether you are the real alcoholic or not because Bill Wilson gets crystal clear over and over and over in the big book. He talks about hard drinkers, moderate drinkers. But what about the real alcoholic? You think it's funny. You want to set the world on fire. Introduce yourself as a real alcoholic sometime in an AA meeting and watch them come out. What, you think you're special? In this group, yeah, probably so. You know, and there's a most group because we out there outnumber us. The hard drinkers sitting in AA outnumber us. Here's why. I'm going to say this and get back into my story. In 1971, there was a piece of legislation that came down the pike called the Hughes Act. Uh, if you guys, after the meeting in betweens, anytime y'all wanted the, the, some of the, the books that are involved in this, I'd be more than glad to give you the information. You can uh, email me and I'll send them to you. There's a, um, there's a great book out there that talks about this particular piece of legislation. Basically, uh, Bill Wilson called it the, the biggest 12-step call ever. He, he got to see the passage of this um, uh, uh, of this piece of legislation uh, before he passed away. And uh, it, was, it was a pretty cool deal. Basically what it did was allow the United States to finally acknowledge that alcoholism was a disease. American Medical Association had been doing it for years, but, but the, the states is a little slow because they don't want to have to pay for it. And that's the bottom line. But, but this legislation allowed insurance companies to pay for treatment for, for, for mental health. And so it was, a it was a great piece of legislation. Uh, Nixon hated it. It was the last thing he did before he left office. We booted him out. And he, it was like he did it on as spite. Here, take this too. And he signed it in, and that was it. <laughs> you won't have me to kick around anymore. Y'all read the history of it. It's pretty fascinating. But what happened was is that a whole bunch of treatment centers started opening up. Now, insurance companies are going to pay for this now, and so this won't be this like this state-funded stuff. This is, this is going to be pretty cool. All right. And I, again, millions of us got to go to treatment because of that. So I'm, I'm the last one to knock this. But what happened is in the United States, this, it's sort of like uh, Tim Hortons in Canada. You know, so we, we kind of overbuilt a little bit at times. And I mean, I've been on a street in Canada where there were eight, there were eight Tim Hortons within a, like a four block area. And it's like, buddy, don't, <laughs> really? And that's exactly what happened in the treatment. In the United States, we were, we were closing down wings of every hospital. I guarantee you they did it here. Every hospital, they were closing down wings and opening up uh, psychiatric units and treatment centers for us, which was a nice thing to do. All right. <laughs> Except we overbuilt. By 1990, there was 40% of all the beds in the United States were alcohol and drug-related beds, psychiatric and alcohol drug treatment. 40 now, we don't have 40% of our population in the United States alcoholic and addict. It hovers around 15%. But we got 40% out there, we're, and, and we got big companies. They're waiting. So what happened? We overbuilt. We got way too many hospitals and not enough little knuckleheads like us to fill them. So what did we do? We filled them with anybody we could. You smoke a joint, get caught, you're in treatment. Drink a six-pack, you're in treatment. You'll follow? If you have insurance and you want a 30-day rest, well, it doesn't matter if you're not an alcoholic or not. You come on to treatment anyway. Guys, i show you the books. You can read all about it if you want to. People went to jail over this nonsense in the United States. By 1996... Uh, 600, in, in 1996, 600 of these treatment centers went out of business. I mean, insurance companies just said, no, we're not going to do this anymore. But the damage had been done. Some of these treatment centers did great jobs with us. They showed us what the disease was. They gave us the information we needed and headed us in the right direction. And some of these facilities didn't do worth a poot. The problem that I have with all of that is that a lot of these people that got sober, I'm not saying all of them, don't come up after with your hair on fire. I'm saying some of these people who weren't alcoholics or addicts stayed around our fellowships. They're nicest people in the world, and they are so welcome. I just wish they wouldn't sponsor anybody because it's scary to watch and see what, what, what passes as recovery. Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob and those first cats in, 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 the, in, the, uh, in the fellowships understood what we were trying to accomplish. 12-step calls today, guys, uh, I was just reading something the other day. It's approximately 90% of all the 12-step calls that we get to do from our AA meetings are on people who have already been in AA. The problem is not getting people to come to Alcoholics Anonymous. 
I, we're the only game in town. I mean, we do a great, great job. The problem is getting people to come back to Alcoholics Anonymous after we have not done what we were supposed to do to begin with. Uh, there'll be a bunch of you amen, and there'll be a bunch of you grinding your teeth. Guys, we've got to pull our heads out of our collective butts and start looking at what we've done to our fellowship, what we are doing. Are we, the question I'm asking, are we being as effective with the newcomer as we possibly could be? Because if you're in a meeting and all you can do is tell them to keep coming back, you're not being effective. They're hanging around just long enough for the obsession to use to come back, and the pain outweighs the benefits, and they're going nuts. And they're out the door again. 1980, I went to my first meeting, and the old geezer, he qualified me. He says, he said, Chris, he said, do you have a desire not to drink? Per the traditions, what he's trying to do is he's qualifying me for membership in Alcoholics Anonymous. He had every right to do that. That's, I, we want to do that. What he's trying to do is make sure that none of them little crackheads were in his meeting. And I can, okay, that's fine. We can do that. Singleness of purpose, I don't have a problem. But he never qualified me as an alcoholic. You're an alcoholic if you say you are. No, you're not. Every single one of us in here, if you're an alcoholic, you've got the same symptoms. Your drama's going to be different. I guarantee you that. Y'all follow? And this is one of my big soapboxes why some people take exception with what I'm saying. Everybody believes that all we have is our story. Guys, I may just, I'm, I'm, I can't share from the podium without sharing it. Guys, if all I have is my stupid stories about eating out of dumpsters in Houston, Texas, shame on me. Buddy, I got the solution. I know how you can be happy, joyous, and free. I know how you can have a guaranteed spiritual experience. If all I'm going to share with you is my story, listen, I hope part of my story is getting well. And we got too many people out there that haven't got well yet. Maybe they have, but they're not sharing it. I'm in 1980. I go to my first meeting, and this old boy went around the room, and he qualified me, and we sit down, and we start talking about everything else under the sun. Some lady was having trouble in a relationship. We talked about relationships. And I came home, and my first wife said, Chris, she said, what did, did, how was it? I said, it's pretty good. I said, we got some stuff to work on when our relationship. And I went to the refrigerator and got a beer. He says, I thought you were going to quit drinking. I said, well, I am. I am. But, I, you know, I'm easy does it. You know, that's what they say in the book. <laughs> Book, book right here. I didn't have a book. I didn't own a book. I'm seven years in Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't have a book. I don't have a sponsor. I don't, I don't know what you guys are doing. I'm up in North Texas where the treatment centers are grinding them out. About a thousand people a month coming into our fellowships. Guys, I'm going to tell you, I lived through it. We weren't ready for them. When the newcomers were coming out, we, there was nobody there to catch them. They were just coming to open discussion meetings. We were trying to bond. We got our living sober book. We're going to... We're, we're, <laughs> Somewhere along the line, we went from a, from a spiritual program of action to a, to a self-help program. And this is not a self-help program. This is, was never intended to be. Y'all follow? I participated in my own recovery, guys. But there's a thing called God. There's a thing called a spiritual experience of, of, of your own understanding that's going to remove the obsession to drink. And this is unapologetically about that. And there's people that just flat don't want to look at that. That's fine with me. But I just don't think that we should be so flippant with the idea that everybody is not hearing the solution. If I tell this nice guy right here that the solution and he says, you know what, I don't want any part of that, then so be it. This is what we're going to talk about tomorrow. We're not trying to jam this down anybody's throat. But if he decides he wants to do the deal, I want to do right by him by telling him how to get well. Bill Wilson, in, a, in, a, in, a, in the book, uh, As Bill Sees It, there's a letter and there's an excerpt from a letter. I've shared this from a billion podiums. It says, our chief, it was 1946 when he wrote this letter. He says, our chief responsibility is an adequate presentation of the program. Our chief responsibility is an adequate presentation of the program. And keep coming back, it works if you work it, is not adequate. <laughs> Did y'all catch the sarcasm? <laughs> uh, we, we look like idiots out there. We, uh, it's, we've started stressing the meetings over the program. Meetings are important. It's the fellowship. We'll talk about it more tomorrow. Anyway, seven years I can't get sober. I'm working for my twin brother up there in North Texas, and I go home and I pick up a stack of return check. How he continued to let me work is, is beyond me. Uh, I am, I'm in bad shape. 
uh, therapy's not working. Uh, I'm on seven medications a day. And uh, I picked up a stack of return checks and went to my little apartment and opened those and the, the rent checks bounced again. And I, uh, I know I'm going to have to go to his, his wife, uh, my sister-in-law, Londa, and, and borrow some money to cover those hot checks. And, and I'm, I'm, guys, I'm 35 years old and I've done it again. Y'all understand that? I've just, this, I am not the man that my dad raised. I hate who I am, and I've run out of excuses. God, poor therapist, I just, it's a no-win situation. Chris, why do you drink? I'm too stressed. Chris, you're not working. Yeah, well, I know, but I'm... <laughs> I tried to commit suicide that night uh, and uh, took a bottle of pills and some alcohol, and uh, uh, about the time those pills hit my stomach, I heard a voice that said, don't do this, go back to AA, and... and uh, Emails from all over the world. Was it a voice or were you just thinking? I heard a voice that said, don't do this, go back to AA. I've heard people all over the world that have heard the same voice. Sometimes it's a woman's voice, sometimes it's a man's voice. But I think we, many of us have been intervened on. Don't know what it was. I think it was God. And I made myself sick and I laid down on the side of the bed and conked out. And the next morning I heard it again. And I went to work because that's what I do. I got some doggy downers at lunch and I went to an AA meeting at 6 o'clock. I wasn't going to go to an AA meeting because I'm detoxing, right? Y'all know how we do it? I was at a head of steam at, at 6 this morning. But now at 6 at night and I'm, think, I'm thinking a box of Kentucky Fried Chicken and, and I'm going to chill for the weekend, kind of detox a little bit. And then Monday I'll get back to them old A&A meetings. For some strange reason, I went to this meeting I'd never been to before, and uh, a guy had 12-stepped me one time and, and after a blackout and taken me to this meeting. And he said, Chris, this is a big book meeting. They, all they do is big book work in that meeting. So, so if you ever want to go and actually do the work, this is a good meeting to go to. And I made a mental note at the time, you know, thanks, no thanks. You know, I land in a, in a, in a nest of big book zealots. No, you're never going to get a date in that room, I guarantee you. I mean, I, I, nobody's going to be interested in hearing about my tragic day in that room. But anyway, but it was between me and my house. And so I was going to go in, drink a cup of coffee, pick up a couple of girls' phone numbers in case I get lonely this weekend and needed somebody to talk to. Another alcoholic, mind you, to talk to. And I walked in the back door of this meeting, and uh, it was just like I knew it would be. Big old long six-foot tables in there. And Y'all know the meetings back. Some of you older guys in here, y'all remember the days we could smoke in? Every AA meeting out there we could smoke in. Big old ashtrays and six or seven cigarettes sticking out of your mouth. and we, Everybody was smoking. I had a big old chaw dip, but I'm not a smoker. Like, I, you know, I'm, not, I'm a purist. Oh, my God. You know, can't even talk. I've got so much tobacco in and I walked in and got about halfway in. And I recognized a chairperson. He'd been chairing for a million years up in North Texas. And he waved. And a lady over here laughed real loud. And I'm, you know how we get, we is just, I'm like, just, I'm so sensitive. You know, I'm hyper vigilant. You know, it's all about me. And it should have been. I mean, I, I look like hell. And that's, I've said it from every podium I've ever, I've I got a bunch of weight on me. I got kidney damage and liver damage. And I'm, I'm just, I'm a mess. And big old long hair. I've got nasty beard like Myers. I mean, <laughs> Something that he could have trimmed up a little bit, you know, but, but I get, I, you know, it's just always got food in it. I, I, don't, I don't That was a joke. I just talked to a girl that was in that meeting not long ago. We had a friend of ours that passed away. She said, Chris, we couldn't tell if it was an eye patch or an earmuff. Yeah. We're going to be in trouble this week with these, this guy. They're laughing at, at handicap jokes. This is not... <laughs> I was so self-conscious. and this, Anyway, this lady laughed, and I knew she was laughing at me. And I took a step back. I took one step back, and I stepped on this lady's foot. And it turned out to be this little old girl. She was about 19 years old, and she stuck her finger in my belt loop. She said, sit down, cowboy. You ain't going anywhere. Now, guys, I got to tell you, her sponsor was sitting back across the room. Yeah, and this wasn't about she sponsored me, and it wasn't like that. She sat me down. She, she knew the, what her primary purpose was. It was to not let me squeeze out the back door. And she stuck her finger in my belt loop and sat me down. Men, work with men and women work oh, eat me I don't know what to tell you I just I'm dying of alcoholism and they're going to they're going to do this she sat me down and started cleaning up my spilt coffee which I immediately did and a chairperson went around the room and she said Chris we got, a, I said, we got a new one in here he says he ain't actually new he's been around for a long time he says why don't we share how our lives have changed as a result of working the steps if, he, if he'd have said, why don't we tell Chris how we got here, I'd have shot myself. I don't 
care how you got it. Oh, sh let me guess. You drank too much. Am I, am I right? Am I close? Come on, guys. It's, again, I'm not going to hit it hard. I'm just, we got to stop trying to scare people into recovery. This is absolutely stupid. In a 12-step call, tell your story. On a Friday night from the podium, tell your story. In a meeting, shut up. You can, you're free to agree or disagree. Refer to it. But can you get well quick? Can you tell us? All I want to know is can you wake up ever and not want to drink? Is, is life over for me at 35 years old? These people went around, guys, because of some direction from a chairperson that took charge of the meeting for a change. This is your meeting. Who's got the problem? Ooh, ooh, shh. How about the drunk in the front of the room? Yeah, he's got a problem. Less than 24 hours away from a suicide attempt. I think that qualifies. Why don't we share some hope with this cat? And that's exactly what they did. They talked about getting their credit cards back. And they talked about getting a car and getting a, getting a driver's license and all, you know, going back to school and doing all the cool things. And everybody just went around. The people that hadn't worked the steps, guess what? They couldn't share that night. Rock on. I'm so sick and tired of hearing people talk about crap they've got absolutely no experience on. I could just scream. Well, I've never actually done a four-step, but this is what I think it means. Shame on you. Share your experience. Share your experience. Guy got me at the end of the deal. I've got five more minutes. Guy got me at the end of the meeting, and he, and he pulled me aside, and uh, I picked up a chip, and he said, Chris, I've got to ask you the question. He says, he says uh, because the big book asked me to ask you, he says, are you done? Not today. Are you done she said, Chris, you don't know how to live life a day at a time. And that's what we do in this fellowship. We're going to show you. If you're ready, we're going to go on this journey. And I said, yes, I'm ready. And the next day, they, they, uh, they'd set me down. We did a little circle triangle, excuse me, and we qualified. And then the next day, we got on our knees in the back room and after a meeting and did a third-step prayer and went and got some Mexican food and came back. And they said, Chris, okay, Chris, it's, it's that time. Next, we launched out on a course. And they gave me a little notebook and said, start writing. I get emails from everybody. Don't you think that was a bit quick? I've been in AA for seven years and have never worked any steps. Quick? I don't think so. These guys understood. If Bill Wilson could be on his ninth day in Towns Hospital detoxing, working on his nine-step stuff, trust me, guys, we weren't going too, too, too fast. The problem in AA today is we go too slow. There's nothing etched in stone, guys. Two weeks, three months, I don't care. Even Any of that's better than one step a month, nonsense that we hear all over the world. Uh, well, it's not a race. Yes, it is. If you understand what alcoholism really is, it's an absolute race. We've got to get this cat connected to God, get him well before the obsession comes back, or you don't have a snowball's in chance of staying sober. That's our experience. Anyway, they did. Two weeks later, I'm sitting on the tailgate. I've got a written four-step. They're teaching me the disciplines of 1011, just like we're going to talk about tomorrow. And I've got to tell you guys, I sat on that tailgate and realized that I'd had a spiritual experience as a result of the steps. I'm less, than, I'm less than 30 days sober, and I have recovered from alcoholism. Uh, not because God finally felt sorry for me or because I finally begged hard enough. I finally got off my butt and actually started doing what was in that book. And I have talked to thousands of chronic relapsers who finally got sober simply because they got off dead center and started working the steps. Make sense? It's been a pretty cool life ever since. 25 years, not once the obsession. I don't... I don't guys... I'm not an autotron, and we're going to talk about that tomorrow. I don't wake up every day, and it's just steps all day, and the most important thing, it's not that. My relationship with God's the most important thing, and i got a really cool life in conjunction with that. And that's what I want some of you new people in here, some of you early in sobriety to understand. I know right now everybody's kind of focusing. This, this, is, this is what we do to get on some solid ground, and then we go out there and, some, and kick some butt and have, have a, the, the coolest life you'll ever imagine. I guarantee you as I wind this down, we're going to say some things I already have tonight. By introducing myself as a recovered alcoholic, I guarantee you I have, I have alienated some of you. Because my sponsor said that we will always be recovering. You, then listen to your sponsor. If you want to stay sick, go ahead. But I think we're missing an opportunity. I think Bill Wilson would have wrote it in the book if that was the case. Guys, I, I could relapse... I could get sick again. Who, who, Peter, all of us up here, we know people, all of y'all out there. Tom, how many hundreds do we know that have had long-term sobriety and lost it? I, I didn't say I couldn't get sick again. I could, but I'm not sick today. And for me to come in and paint a picture that I'm still sick today is, is disrespectful. 
disrespectful to the men and women that worked with me early on. And it, and it shows absolutely no hope for the new newcomer coming in the door. If I haven't obsessed about alcohol in 25 years, how recovered do you want to get? <laughs> you know, doesn't mean I'm a perfect individual. I'm still working on stuff and will until the day I die. We've got to stop introducing ourselves incorrectly. It's just, a, just a, it's an absolute soapbox of mine. The simple fact, because our sponsor told us that, somebody at Hazleton told us that, or the treatment centers told us that, I understand it, but that's not what the big book says. Page 132, we have recovered and been given that power to help others. That's pretty cool. That's a lot different than one day at a time struggling just not to drink today. Oh, my God. <laughs> really? Stick with us this week, guys. Next couple of days, we're going to talk about these steps. And if we can help you get off dead center like that, buddy, we're, we're, I hope we can do that because uh, we need everybody out there in the trench with us. Thank you for letting me come tonight. Thank you. Hola, amigos. You left your cough drop up here. Oh, shit, I did. <laughs> well, hand it to me. <laughs> oh, man. The things I have to do. I'm going to be brief. I know some of you guys like to smoke a butt right now. And, and um, I, I'm married to a, a, a woman that I absolutely adore uh, who is a smoker. And so I've got this sort of ingrained thing for, for, I mean, when you start scratching, I'm already scratching and looking for the door. I mean, I, I, I get that stuff. For you guys I haven't met, my name is Myers Raymer, and I'm an alcoholic. Myers. Sobered up in January, uh, January 15th, 88. My home group is the primary purpose group of Dallas, Texas, a big old lathered up bunch of uh, AA knuckleheads. And, and, uh, and it's an honor to be in this room, uh, I can assure you. Um, Ditto Chris. I could just sit down right now. I, I get laughing. I, I, did, I don't get to see Chris much anymore. We, we're, we're kind of traveling in, in it just, I miss him all the time. And so to, to, when we get these gigs together, it's kind of fun. Peter, I used to travel with a good bit. Um, and then over the last couple of years, my schedule's gotten goofy and I don't see him as much. And, um, but it's, it, is a, it is a treat, let me tell you. They, Peter was also my very first hair care sponsor, too. And <laughs> my, my hair always looked like I was crapped out of a gerbil. And Quit. Quit. I got to tell you guys a real quick story. I promise it's real quick. But we were in Iceland. And this was in 2000, and and we were staying. We spent the, a, a weekend there at, doing a workshop at a at a men's halfway house, and we got through the whole whole deal. Now listen, in case you haven't been to Iceland, it's freaking cold. I mean, it's just like it's. It's right, sitting right on the Atlantic, and the wind never blows less than 30 miles an hour right off the Atlantic, right out of the north. And it's just like icebergs floating by. It's horrible. I mean, from a, for a Texas boy, it was pretty miserable. And so we're, we're trying to leave to go back to the airport. I'm dead dog tired. I'm, we're on, and all the little guys from the halfway house say, no, we want a picture with you and Chris and, and, uh, and Peter. And so I go, well, where's Peter. And we're standing in the middle of the street. I got no coat except a sports coat on like this. And I'm just like this. I'm going, well, where's Peter? We say, well, he'll be down in a minute. And finally, I'm going, where the freak is Peter? We're dying here. And he goes, I don't know. And I said, I'll go find out. So I go upstairs like this. Peter's up there. That's so nice. Peter's up there packing hair care product. <laughs> no. It gets better. A separate, a separate suitcase for a hair care product. Talking, I never saw anything like it in my whole life. I said, Peter, I love you, but, but your life's almost over if you don't come downstairs real quick. <laughs> and we, we did. We took the picture. I'd love to have that picture today because it was just like, like Peter standing there in this blizzard. The snow's blowing by, and he is perfect. He looks, he looks like he walked off the set of The Soprano. He's got this big, long trench coat and a big old cigar like this that he's chewing on like this. And I'm just standing with this little scrawny kid from Texas and I just want my mommy. It's just like, I, I want to be home. Oh, man. Goodness. Um, 
God, I love this deal, and I love this opportunity to do this, um, the, these weekend deals where we can spread out a little bit and where we have a chance to talk, and, and there's breaks, and there's a chance for us to talk about things. It's a weird deal for me. Sometimes I'll say something, and you'll misunderstand. If you, if you haven't known me very long, you know I talk pretty quick, and I, I, I just... Um, I don't want to miss. I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. And so, if, if we say something and you're grindy with it, if you kind of if we butt up against something like this, then let's just talk about it. I, I'm not. I'm not. Con I always learn something when I do this. I've never said that I'm right about everything. I've just said after 25 years, I tend to have been beat up. If you tell me where the landmines are, I'll say thank you, and then I go out and step on the landmines. You see, I, I just got to step on it myself. And so I, I didn't. I wasn't born like this. I just stepped on so many landmines. I just started looking like this. I just it's just crazy. And and so I want to make sure that we have a chance to kind of talk about some of this during the weekend and 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 work on some of this. It's it's amazing to me. It always has been that when you get here, everybody says, I want you to have an open mind. I want you to, and then three years into the deal, our minds just go, and just slam shut. And, and we don't want to have an open mind about anything. Well, my sponsor said, well, my therapist said, well, my, I'm not here to argue anybody's deal, but I just want, wouldn't it be cool if, if now, right now, where we all sit and stand, we could simply lay down all the crap that we think that we know about this deal and just take a moment to investigate some of the stuff. Just look at it. Pick it up. Look at it again. Uh, the, these old ideas, guys, are what, what just cuts us to ribbons sometimes. It's like we come in here with a head full of old ideas and we hang on to them tenaciously. Some of them are not even working, and yet we still hang on to them. They've become our doctrine. How many of you were taught, most of you, I think, were taught the same way that I was taught in AA? I didn't, I didn't read a big book. My first big book, was, there was not a mark in it. Up to we agnostics, there was a few marks. There was nothing behind it. Because we, we, we didn't, in those days, we just didn't read the big book. In, in, in eight, the, the late 80s, we weren't reading the stuff. We were, what we would do is we'd sit in all kinds of meetings, all of them discussion meetings. I would wait for you to say something pithy, and then I would incorporate that into my little bailiwick of, of, of pithy ideas that I'm going to teach my guys and pretty soon. But it's all based on opinions and ideas. Some of them were great. I'm not knocking all of them, but some of them were just flat horseshit, guys. I mean, there was some stuff that I learned that I, did, that I just thought was the coolest that didn't have any bearing on what our program looked like. And the, and the result was, but I'll give you an example. Meeting makers make it. Wouldn't that be better if it was pronounced like something like some meeting makers make it? How about most meeting makers make it? Well, all meeting makers don't make it. Listen, I watched Chris go through hell to get to AA. My life just explodes. I get I twisted up in a bunch of stuff that sort of sped things up if you catch my drift. And, and pretty soon I'm out in the toolies doing all kinds of things that I swore I would never do with people I swore I would never be with. And you get it. And, and Chris takes me to my first AA meeting, January 15th, 88, and I have one sobriety date. I, I, never, I, didn't, I didn't have any trouble staying there then. I, didn't, I came and fell in love with AA. I thought it was the coolest thing in the whole wide world. And, and this is where your story and my story will probably deviate just a little bit. Because I, but I want you to understand, there's some of you guys that know exactly what I'm talking about. Chris took me into those meetings. We're, we're not talking about the steps. We're not talking about God. We're not talking. I don't have a sponsor. Uh, um, we, we, what we're doing is we're sharing a bunch of stuff. The meeting is about nurture, the stuff like what Chris was talking about. We're going to love each other into sobriety. There's nothing wrong with any of that. Look at me. I'm, please, don't misunderstand me. There is nothing wrong with fellowship. There's nothing wrong with loving each other in these rooms. Um, it's some of the coolest stuff in the world. If nurture was enough, your mom and daddy would have got you sober. That special man or woman in your life would have got you sober. It's, it's not enough, guys. It's going to take more. If your problem is if, is, if alcoholism is a behavior problem, maybe it would be enough. The problem is that it's not. And so we find ourselves in this situation. I'm three years into the deal, and all of a sudden your story, which was quite exciting when I first heard it, is becoming so tedious because you share it every opportunity you can that towards the end of the third or fourth year, I'm simply unraveling. I'm simply coming apart at the seam. And I'm spending all my time in the meeting wondering how much jail time I'll have if I kill you. 
that's not the foundation you want to build a spiritual thing on. You see, it's like it's like, but but it was the it was the truth. I just couldn't, and 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 my story is stupid, and everybody. I mean, I just it's the only thing that we seem to have that we could share. And as a result, most of us were getting sick. Very few of us were staying sober, and and it was pretty much a bloodbath. Um, uh, I start unraveling again in AA. Now, let me tell you something, folks. It, it, it's, a, it's a horrible thing to not want to drink or drug again and to know that you're going to because you can't get the relief that you need. It's a horrible, horrible place to be. And so the, the, I'm sitting in, in this, these meetings. I'm right, starting to write hot checks all over the Denton County. Every woman in AA is more exciting than my wife which is not a good thing if you want to stay married. Trust me on this. It's just crazy crap. I'm just coming apart. I call Chris. We have these conversations. Chris has now moved to the Hill Country and got something called a big book sponsor. I don't have a clue what that was. Didn't really give a rat's butt. But he was happy when I talked to him on the telephone, and that's a big deal, you see. And so I'm, I'm thinking this is going to be pretty cool. Eventually, I'll maybe get what he's got in his second stage recovery or whatever it is. And, and we... <laughs> I managed, because of my allegiance to that home group, stay in that room for another two or three years. I was seven years sober when I finally uh, started coming undone enough that I had to do something. I almost drank one night, and I called Chris the next morning, and I said, Chris, I almost drank last night, and it scared me pretty bad. I don't know what to do. And Chris said, I've been telling you for three years, first, get out of that group and go find some place where they'll talk about a solution in, the, in, the, in, the, in our program. I said, well... Okay, and he said, hey, listen, I'm going to introduce you. I'm, I'm going to be in town. He, his sponsor, Mark Houston, was alive then, and, and he, Mark and Chris were going to be in Dallas in a couple of days, and he said, listen, just hang tight. When I get there, there's an old guy there, and I'm going to introduce you to him. I, we've heard about him. I've not met him personally, but I, he, they say he's old as dirt, and they say he's really mean, but they say he really knows the big book. And I went, sounds like my kind of guy. I'll, I'll, I'll just wait and see what happens. When Chris shows up, he, he introduces me to this guy. He says, here's his number. Go call him. And I'm making all kinds of excuses not to. Uh, and and you got to understand, guys, there's, this, there's a part of me that desperately wants what somebody else has. I want some solution. And then there's another part of me that's really content just sitting on my butt because the truth of the matter is I'm really, really lazy. I don't want to read your stinking book. I really don't want to do this inventory. I don't want to do the work. I don't want to. I just want it to be. I just want it to be better. And it's not. And I'm getting sicker by the day. My wife is totally freaked out. She doesn't know what's going on. Any of you guys ever have these emotional swings in sobriety? One night you come home and you're, you're you know, Ward Cleaver. And the next night you come home and you're the Marky Decide. I mean, you're just like looking for a fight. And all it took was you stepping over a book bag and you're ready to kill somebody. Wow. Wow. This kind of emotional stuff is part of the stuff that we're talking about. Um, he introduces me to this guy. This guy scoops me up, takes me through the work, and, and in short order, two weeks, I have an experience that I'd never had in AA, um, um, and it blew me away. We're sitting at a meeting in this book study. I have three weeks at this book study, uh, studying the text, and we're sitting there one night, and all of a sudden, this, these guys are talking about something. We're in uh, more about alcoholism, and I went, holy cow, I'm an alcoholic. It, I remember going home and I kicked the front door open and I ran in the house like that. And I said, Londa, Londa, I'm, I'm an alcoholic. And she looked at me and she goes, no shit. I, I, go, I go, no, 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 really, really, I'm, I, I'm an alcoholic. I, she said, I thought we had figured this out a long time ago. I said, listen, you cats may have figured it out, but I'm telling you right now, I just now connected the dots. I finally, after all of these years, understand why I drink the way I drink and why I am the way I am. I understand, like we finally got to put a face on what alcoholism looks like. We got to put a face on what recovery looks like. Instead of this vague, nebulous, well, I got, listen, you, if you think I'm, you think, maybe you think I'm being too judgmental. Let me ask you this question. The next time you have an opportunity in a discussion meeting that you're sitting there in, which we seem to be so in love with, I want you to, to, to bring as a topic, um, um, tell me why you think you're an alcoholic. Just do it as a topic and see what happens. Let me just tell you what's going to happen. I'll give you the Reader's Digest condensed ver version of it. The very first thing that will happen, the first voice that is spoken in that room other than yours will be somebody that will start telling you their story. Well, I got a DWI. And then it'll just go on from there. And if, you'll, if you leave it unchecked, it'll just go to the end of the hour and you guys can shake hands and, and everybody goes home. 
You see, you see what I'm saying? We, we, we go straight to the drama that, that came in on the coattails of what alcoholism really looked like. The problem is, some of you guys that are sponsoring older men, are you not sometimes caught off guard by how many people we see in our fellowship that have been around for 10 or 15 years that have no idea what alcoholism is? They don't have any idea what it looks like. They don't have any idea that it's got a mental component and a physical component, that there's a spiritual component of that. No way. Uh-uh. We always go straight back to the drama. Well, the problem is, guys, is that the discussion around the drama has a dark side to it. Because what if my drama doesn't line up with your drama? Amen. So many times in our fellowship, guys, we end up with people going, well, we want these people to come and we're going to love on them and we want them to feel welcome. And eventually, when the pain gets enough, they'll, they'll initiate the conversation about the steps. I'm going, are you, are you kidding me? They're sick. They're not, let me tell you what they'll do. They'll go drink. Because that's what we do best in this situation like this. Why can't we scoop them up and tell them right off the bat what the deal is so that they know and understand? How many of you guys have either done this, I have, or heard people do this, stand up at a birthday night in front of a whole bunch of people and say, oh, I, just, I don't have a clue how I got here, but I'm so grateful to be here. I used to say that all the time. It was my favorite thing to say. And I'm going, are you oh. Murderer. Listen, I know exactly how I got here. And if you'll listen to me for a couple of seconds, I can explain exactly what happened. And I can help you see exactly how you got here based on what your disease is. I understand it's an attempt at humility. I understand where they're coming from when they say that kind of stuff. But as a new guy sitting in the room, what's the new guy think? Sometimes I think that we've got a total disconnect from what the new guy is hearing in a meeting like that. How many times have you said, look, there's too much to cover in 11 minutes. All right, let me... How, you remember on page 17 when they talk about a common solution? The book's real clear on this kind of stuff. The, 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 the common... So, I want to read this because it's important. If you don't have it, I'm going to go check your big books. And if your big books are not marked here, there's going to be some explaining to do. <laughs> page 17, excuse me. The feeling of having shared in a common peril is one element of powerful cement which binds us. But that in itself would never have held us together as we are now joined. All right, Dig, you guys understand what I'm saying. The fact that we're all connected through our alcoholism, our addiction, is indeed cool. You remember the first time you walked into a meeting and you couldn't look up? You, I mean, you were looking at the floor and eventually you began to look up and some people were kind of, hey, what's up? You know, you, you just realized that you were in a room full of people of like mind like that. This is the coolest thing in the whole wide world. I'm so in love with that whole idea. But look what Bill writes next. But that in itself would never have held us together as we are now joined. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we've discovered a what? A common solution. So why is this important? If, if, if our common solution is common, then how come it is that in the meeting it sounds so uncommon? How come it is that it sounds so contradictory? Okay, my buddy Patrick is a brand new guy sitting in the room. He's brand new. He's sitting there like this. And in the very same meeting over here, this guy says, you know, well, my sponsor, he took me through the work, and we did the work in 35 days, and I had this experience that blew me out of the water, and it was the coolest. And Patrick is sitting back going, hey, that's pretty cool. And then a couple of minutes later, there's a gal down here, and she's changing. She says, well, my sponsor, we met over at her house on a Saturday morning, and it took us maybe a couple of years to do the work. But we finally got all through it, and I had this experience like this. Now, we... In the room, we don't even connect with it. We don't even think about it like this. Except Patrick is sitting there going, 30 days over here and two years over here to work the same set of steps. That sounds like a conflict to me. It sounds like, like confusion to me. And so Patrick does this real gently. And we, we, he pushes off a little bit. And we're all smiling at him. Oh, Patrick, keep coming back. It works if you work it like this. And we're just all lovey-dovey with old Patrick because we already love the shit out of that guy. We dig in everything about Patrick. And we want him to... You understand what I'm saying like this? And the next day, somebody's sharing about eating out of a dunkster. And the next day, somebody's sharing about doing something else. Like it. And the next day, somebody's talking about having a black, blackout. Patrick goes, and I never... I can't even remember blacking out. Where does it say you have to black out in order to be an alcoholic? We've got to be clear on this, guys, because this is the stuff that, that this is the dark side of this stuff that we've got to pay attention to. Everybody's still smiling at Patrick, thinking he's pretty cool. We think Patrick is getting comfortable in the room. 
I'm telling you what Patrick is doing. What Patrick is doing is building a case against us. That's my experience in 25 years. He's building a case against us. And the moment the case gets to a place to where he does not relate to us anymore, he'll simply go, kunk, and he'll push off and he'll be gone. And then we'll sit back and we'll judge Patrick. Well, he just wasn't ready. Well, the booze will drive him back in here. And we say all kinds of stupid stuff like that, and it just drives me insane when this stuff happens. I'm not, I don't, please, I don't want to come across judgmental. I'm just saying, just open your eyes to the deal like that. Guys, we have... This stuff is like we got a 400-pound naked guy sitting in the room and we don't want to address the real problem of this thing. The real problem is we have a million people a day that want to talk about alcohol and nobody wants to talk about alcoholism because we want to be loving and tolerant. There's a theologian, a guy named D.A. Carson, that said one time at a talk he is not in AA. He was, this was about something else like this. But he said, we drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. Holy cow, how true. We compromise our, our, our ideas. We compromise our program. We compromise every aspect of this stuff in the name of tolerance. And the reality of this stuff is, guys, we would be much more tolerant if we would just simply define the boundaries of what's appropriate, set a new baseline for what's appropriate, and then begin to build from there. It takes a little bit of courage and it takes a little bit of work, but holy cow, the difference is, because I've seen it from both directions. I've sponsored willy-nilly, you do whatever you want and call me when you're ready to do the work. I've also done it where I say, here, Hoss, 10 days, we'll do this inventory. Here, get started. I've also done it from that perspective. And let me tell you, I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, after carrying hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of men through the work, that, that, that a more defined boundary of where we are and what we're doing works 10 times better. Because let me tell you something, we're all basically come out of the same gene pool and it's the weirdest thing in the world. You give me, you give me months to do inventory and I'll take months. You give me years and I'll take years. It's just the common nature uh, um, of who we are. Listen, I don't want ever for anybody to think that we're trying to raise up an army of some kind of zealots out there beating people up with the big book and this kind of, that, that's not what this is about at all. What, there's a huge difference between being a zealot and being full of zeal. A whole, a whole lot of difference, okay? We, what, what, what's wrong with being enthused about a program? Sometimes I hear stuff about stuff. Tomorrow we'll... we'll I want to read this. You, you'll, some of you will dig this. Some of you won't. But it's just a little piece of this. I think, Joe, I, I think I read this to Joe one time. This is called 12 Steps to Nowhere. It was written by an idiot named Melba Newsom, and, and I hope she calls me someday. That's the reason I use her, her name on my deal. This was an op-ed piece out of Playboy magazine, and a guy sent it to me, and this is all he sent. It was just a little, I don't know. I, I thought I warranted at least a page or two out of no, this is all. This is all I got. Anyway, the... I just want to set this up real quick so we can see this. It says, earlier this year, let's see, Charlie Sheen is talking to, you guys know Charlie Sheen, remember the rants and stuff about AA, the last time he blew up and things got real ugly and he was saying a bunch of really unkind things about us. What he goes, he says, uh, this is Sheen talking, I was shackled and oppressed by the cult of AA for 22 years, he told radio host Alex Jones, it's vintage, outdated, and stupid, and it's followed by stupid people. Now, when I read this, I got kind of I got kind of bowed up. I'm going, who does that guy think he is? Like that. Stick with me. They read from the big book, recite the 12 steps, uh, and talk about their jobs, money, and relationships, or lack thereof. They believe such public therapy is necessary to keep alcohol, cunning, baffling, powerful at bay. And now I'm getting a little uncomfortable. I'm, I'm, I'm equally angry still at, at Sheen for saying it, but this is making me feel a little bit uncomfortable. Now, diabetics don't spend three nights a week talking about their childhood and marriage to other diabetics, but that's essentially how AA treats addiction. And now I've got to back away and look at it. And then in the end, he, he goes on forever, but in the end it, it says, AA is a remedy designed for the population that does not have good judgment. Way to go, Charlie. The part, the part that gets me about this stuff, guys, is that what, what Charlie was saying about us, he didn't make up. What Charlie said about us, he observed sitting in AA meetings talking about all kinds of crazy stuff. Because, guys, I love you to death, but sometimes we look like idiots. 
Sometimes we just look crazy at this stuff. How many times have you found yourself in a situation where you would tolerate something um, knowing that it's goofy, but you just tolerate it just so you can go along? Some of this deal about acceptance, about doing here, I want to tell you one last little story real quick and, and to put a kind of a cap on this and then I'll join it up and we can, we can go all smoke a butt together. So I know some of this makes you guys squirm and I, I'm not trying, please, you've got to understand how much I love you and how much I understand. You don't have to listen to any of this stuff. You don't have to, but th sometimes I think we have blinders on in our fellowship. I know I did for a lot of years and it just, went, whatever happened, happened and the crazy crap would happen and I would just look the other way and some crazy stuff. We have groups that look like cults and weird shit going on. I'd look the other way. I just don't want to be, I, just, I don't want to, I kind of want to change anything. I don't want to take a stand on anything. I'll just hope that it gets better. In the, in the name of acceptance, we just let lots and lots of things happen on this stuff. I work a part-time job and uh, uh, in, a, in a, another part of the state and I was running um, when I'm down there I, I, I'm all by myself and I run almost every day and I was running down this road along the thing is right after spring break a lot of kids there and stuff and 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 the the I'm running out around a whole bunch of kids like that there's like 10 or 15 kids and then another group right behind them walking on the side of the road and I'm running around them well I got around them and got about 10 steps in front of these kids and my shoelace was too big on my right foot I didn't I'm an idiot. I never learned. And I, I just, I tripped and fell. And, and I mean, I busted my butt right there. And, and, and three or four of those kids laughed. And, and then they just walked right around me. There just, nobody said anything. Nobody did anything. And I'm just kind of sitting there and my, picking my glasses up and, you know, kind of looking for the pile of blood under me. And there wasn't any. And I thought, okay, I could probably. And about that time, somebody re reaches under my arms and lifts me up, off, off, just picks me up and sets me up. And he puts his arms around me. And there's a little guy on the, on, on the island down there that's got a real bad, deformed face. Part of his face is real swole out like this. And it looks like, like I don't know what it is. But, but, but he was right there picking me up and I don't know where he came from I never saw him uh, but but he said are you okay and I said yeah and he said let me walk with you for a minute and he put his arm around me like this and he just held me and walked with me for a while until he was sure I was okay and I said brother thanks man and and I left and I just was running down the deal now listen guys the reason the, the here's the, the reason for the story mm. is that I am 100% convinced that of the 15 or 20 kids that were there that saw me fall, there was some of those kids that wanted to help me, that would, would, would wanted to walk over and see if I was okay. All it took was two or three, two or three people laughing, and all of a sudden they don't want to be, 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 they don't want to take a stand on anything. Sometimes at the end of the day, this boils down to character. This boils down to what we're taught to do. And I think in our fellowship, we got a real problem. I think we got a whole bunch of people that are so convinced, that are so, 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 tenaciously tied to the idea of just being accepted that they won't do what's right. And sometimes to do what, what's right means that we have to question what got us here. We have to question some of the old ideas um, that, that, um, that we believe to be sacred. Some of them are indeed sacred, but there are some things that maybe, maybe we need to question. Instead of telling people 90 meetings in 90 days, I don't, that's not based on my experience and it's not based on anything that I read in the text. So why do we keep pe telling people to come to 90 meetings in 90 days? You understand what I'm saying? Chris hit it on the, uh, uh, right on the head when he said this stuff. Our problem has never, ever been getting people to come see us. It's never been that. It's how do we keep them here? Why won't they stay? What is it that they're not hearing that they need to hear? We're going to talk loads about it in the morning. We're going to talk about some cool stuff to kind of connect some of this stuff up so you can begin to see. When I began to open my eyes to the attitude that perhaps some of the doctrine that I had based my recovery on was not sound, when I began to look at it from that perspective, I got fairly excited because I could then, because you're left into a place where you have to rely on something. And what I did was, is what I hope you do is, is that you fall back into the text, that you fall back into what the founding fathers, uh, those first 100 guys wrote for us and gave us uh, as a clear-cut set of directions uh, because the result is profound. Every situation I've seen where people will come and do the work, they'll recover. Guaranteed, 100% of the time, if you do the work, you'll walk away free and clear. This has been my experience. We have far too many people that start the race but never finish the race because of whatever reason, whatever boneheaded idea we let them sit in. And, and I just think we ought to be a little more direct with them. Hey, Hoss, I think you'll die if you keep doing what you're doing. I love you to death, but I don't think you're going to make it. Mean? I don't know. 
Maybe it is. Hmm. One more thing. Just if you had somebody that you loved and you, they were heading for the street, wouldn't you grab them? If you had a kid and he was running out of the street, I mean, how many of you have felt that feeling of terror as you watched a kid run out from behind a car into a street or something like this? I have. And I'll tell you right now, it's unbelievable like this. And yet, how many of us sit in meetings and watch stupid stuff going on? Guys hitting on girls that are real sick and hurting like a big dog and might not make it. Girls hitting on guys that are brand new and may not make it. All kinds of people sharing unbelievable. How many times have you, how many of you have been in AA meetings where some guy that we all love and adore took a meeting hostage to talk about something completely off topic and we allowed him to do it? We allowed him to do it out of love and tolerance, and I'll ask you this question and then I'll shut up, at the expense of our brand new guy that just came in. And the question I want to ask you is, where did we get and why did we get to a place in our fellowship to where that guy's right to share something off topic superseded his right to hear the truth from our text? Just a question. Just a question. Now that I've made every one of you uncomfortable, <laughs> let's, let's go smoke a cigarette. Thank you. <laughs>